Hello, and welcome to the Seminole Wrap, a podcast about all things Florida State. I'm Tim Allenball, and tonight I am joined by two of my Tomahawk Nation friends, Juan Montavo and Perry Costadakis. Juan and I are going to be breaking down Florida State's latest quarterback commit. We're also going to dive into the NFL draft to find out how the Florida State players did. And then Perry's going to wrap it up with all things Florida State. All that and more on this week's Seminole Wrap. Hello again and welcome to Seminole Wrap. As I mentioned in the top, Juan and I are going to kick off the show with exciting news. But before we do that, real quick, Juan, it's good to have you back. You've been sick. You've been fighting the daycare flu, man. How are you, buddy? I'm doing well. I can finally breathe. I can finally, uh, you know, move around without coughing every two minutes and hacking up a lung, which in the era of COVID is like super embarrassing in public. Like I'm going into Publix and I'm coughing just because I have like, a, you know, flu. I mean, they tested my 18 month old kid for COVID. That was not a fun experience. Uh, but like I'm coughing and, and, and he didn't have it. I don't have it. Uh, I've been vaccinated. And I'm coughing in public, and I'm like, oh, no, all these people are going to think I'm like this COVID monster flying around public. So I'm glad not to be doing that anymore. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not a big deal down in Florida. You guys you guys just roll with your own punches down there. It's, I mean, we're like Ohio. We're just sort of – we do our own thing. We, we ride alligators to work, all that sort of thing. <laughs> That's exactly how I picture it ever since I left there. I, I mean, I, I imagine that. you guys like you guys use bottles of bourbon for shoes up in Kentucky. Oh uh, no, shoes are we just don't wear shoes. Period. That's the that's I how it was Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> All right, All let's, right we uh, got half the South taken care of. Let's move on. Yeah. Let's uh, <laughs> let's try to bring this back in. All right, so uh, exciting news to start off this past week. Florida State got a commit from four-star quarterback AJ Duffy. This is such a big commitment in so many different ways. Uh, number one, uh, th- this kid is a, a top 100 player uh, on the composite. He's uh, the number six pro quarterback, um, pro style quarterback. But uh, the other thing that stands out to me is he's at IMG, which is, you know, just I know it's hard to quote unquote, get a pipeline at IMG Academy because it's, uh, it's you know, the prep school for, uh, for division one college, but it never hurts to have their starting quarterback committed to your team. Yeah. I mean, IMG, like you said, it's not a place you can get a pipeline, but it's always good to have an in. And it's even better when that, that in is a quarterback and, and someone really highly rated like AJ Duffy. I mean, you've had some kids come out of IMG over the years who were probably a little bit lower rated at the quarterback position he's one of the better ones that's come out and come through there. And of course he has, he's a California boys from, from I think Rancho's fair days, uh, California originally. Um, but he's, you know, four star top 100. I mean, he's, he, he ticks off every box. I mean, and, and of course one of the best parts is you're adding him to a pretty good class that already includes Nico Markiel too. And then I think we're going to talk a little bit about that and how that may play into that. Yeah, definitely. Um, Florida State now has two four-star quarterbacks committed. Before we dive into the uh, the quarterback room, AJ Duffy uh, has has a lot of things you you love to see in a high school quarterback. Our uh, our boys uh, Kevin Little and and Coach AB Adam Brown broke that down this past week in an article on Tomahawk Nation. Uh, there was a there was a really interesting piece there. They did a video and they talked about uh, his mechanics a little bit. Um, and they really take a moment to highlight uh, how he how he's using his uh, his plant foot when he when he's about to throw. Uh, it, at times, he trusts his upper body a lot, 
uh, on placing a ball and you can see how his stance changes. So that I cleaned that up a little bit, but at the same time, it showed off his accuracy, um, which I, I talked to David Stout from Tomahawk Nation a little bit before the podcast to ask him about three things that really jump out from looking at his highlights. And, you know, granted, those are some older highlights, and it would be interesting to see how he does at IMG against, you know, more competition. But, uh, you know, some, some things right off the bat. He goes through his reads really quickly. So, um, and I think Adam and them talked about this as well. He, he, he really reads the defense well. It speaks to his understanding of the offense that he's put in and also the trust in his teammates. Uh, he's got that football IQ that you really like to see in a quarterback. And, and Juan, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, being able to make that read is something that Norvell really, really emphasizes for his quarterbacks in this offense. Definitely. I mean, and it's not something we've seen as much in Norvell's first year uh, without the time to fully install the offense and really without a good high-level quarterback. Uh, but being able to read like a single defender is the key to like these RPO plays that we deal with, you know, and that, that we want to play with uh, a lot more. So, I mean, that is something and, you know, to, to use the exact words that, that Adam Brown uh, used, I mean, that's a really good start as a sophomore. I mean, if you're doing something like that, you're, you know, you don't necessarily expect a kid that's that young to be going out there and, 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 you know, hitting his fourth read or anything like that. And of course you're not going to see that on highlight anyway, but I mean, it's, it's definitely a very positive thing to see. Okay. He's looking at that linebacker and he's making his throw based on what the, what that guy does after the snap. So it's definitely a positive and, you know, to see a young quarterback do that. And I want to go back a little bit to the mechanics thing you're talking about. The one thing that I thought was really interesting is when I, we were watching the draft over the weekend, Not we're not going to talk about the draft until later in the podcast, but um, they talked about when, when Patrick Mahomes was coming out of Texas Tech, one thing they noticed was that he had really good accuracy in ball placement and that the issue that he, one issue that he had is that his mechanics, you know, primarily his footwork would get a little bit sloppy at times and he would still be able to be a good arm thrower for lack of a better way to put it. So, you know, it sounds like AJ is, is one of those sort of arm throwing type of quarterbacks and a little bit of, a little bit of, you know, cleaning up his mechanics, particularly in the, in the footwork department and, you know, that's something that ball placement, precision, for lack of a better way to put it, you know, the, not to get into a full scientific discussion of accuracy versus precision, but the precision aspect, if it's there, it's there. It's one of those things that, you know, you don't turn EJ Manuel into a guy who hits a person in the numbers every time or, you know, regularly. Um, so the, uh, AJ Duffy has that. He's an arm throwing kid that can be molded into a better, more accurate quarterback. I think at the college level and he's making those good reads. I mean, you know, there's a lot to be excited about. There's a reason, there's a reason he's to a top 100 kid. No doubt. Yeah. And, and talking to David, he said a lot, he said a lot of that same thing. Uh, he's got a lot of confidence in his accuracy and you're talking about that, that arm throw type situation, uh, which Adam and then point out, he almost does kind of a soft plant on it, on his, on his plant foot on those throws because he's using just his arm to in his upper body to really, you know, kind of almost drop it in a bucket. And obviously we're not comparing him to Mahomes, but uh, it's a, it's a similar type throw that you see Mahomes make all the time where he's either scrambling or he, he's almost sitting flat foot in the pocket uh, and just kind of like a soft plant, just where he wants to drop it into a certain thing and not necessarily uh, put a huge amount of velocity on it and get it downfield. So uh, definitely we'll see how that plays uh, against better competition in his senior year at IMG. Um, and just the other thing is 
Uh, he's also a big presence on the recruiting trail, um, which Nico is as well. And we'll kind of we'll kind of transition to that here in just a second. But uh, having him is going to be big with hopefully players like Kevin Coleman, Damari Alston, and several others. Um, it, it never hurts when, like you said, the IMG leader, uh, their their quarterback, uh, commits to your program because it gives you a big in, uh, and, and he's got a, a big presence. And you know the big thing there is that Nico Marchio helped com- you know recruit him to Florida State. And uh, Nico has said from the start, hey, uh, I welcome the competition. And, and now, <laughs> now we'll see if those words bear out. You know, uh, I hope Nico sticks around. I think Nico's also a solid, solid quarterback uh, and, and brings a lot, of, a lot of different things to the table. Uh, much more uh, running threat and kind of a bigger kid. So uh, it, it'll be interesting. If Duffy sticks, will Nico stick? Will Florida State still flirt with MJ Morris? It'll it'll be kind of curious to see what uh, Florida State ends up at the end of the year at the quarterback uh, position for this twenty two class. Yeah, I mean, I imagine at this point they're they're going to try to keep MJ Morris warm, you know, throughout on, in the background on the you know, but uh, they're they've got two guys. They're not going to take a third. I mean, they, you you don't see very often teams taking three quarterbacks some teams may want to but uh more often than not that you don't you don't have a situation where you're going to be able to land three quarterbacks anyway so you you always got to keep nj morris on that back burner keep him warm and you know see see what pans out with nico um but yeah like you said it's it's a positive that he was helping to recruit aj and hopefully they see themselves themselves as being different enough that they're or you know just that they're competitive enough that they're both willing to come in and fight for a spot yeah, and you know it's it's interesting to see how coaches play this now, especially with the transfer market. Because if you got a kid that's unhappy within that first year, I mean, they can leave now. And so it, it'll be interesting to see how Norvell and crew handle that. Because most quarterbacks are, are leaders, and so they they've got a little bit of a I don't want to say ego, but they've got confidence in themselves, and they just kind of feel like you know what, I'll just go somewhere else. So it'll be. Uh, if if Florida State is able to hold on to two quarterbacks throughout the whole year, it, it's definitely going to be interesting to see how that works as it goes uh, into the freshman year. Yeah, and I think that 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 uh, transfer mindset, especially among quarterbacks, is only going to increase with the ruling the, for the NCAA. Um, you know, we're I don't think we've covered it yet on the podcast, but the NCAA ruled that uh, now each each student athlete across any sport, football included, of course, has one free transfer, get out of jail free card, no limitations on where you can go, uh, immediate eligibility. So that is only going to heighten the transfer frenzy that we already run into. Yeah. You mentioned a uh, uh, recruiting class doesn't usually pick up three quarterbacks. I think Florida State did that once under Jimbo when you had uh, Francois, uh, DeAndre Johnson, and Kai Loxley uh, commit, committed at one point. And that was uh, that, great, like week, <laughs> and that uh, that was a, a raging success for Florida State. Oh, let man. me tell you. <laughs> but uh, speaking of former Florida State players, Juan, uh, the NFL draft was this past this past week. Yes, sir. Uh, One of my and, favorite sporting uh, events all year. I mean, I have to tell you, I was watching it. Some my dad was in town uh, up here to Kentucky, and uh, we just kind of sat there on the couch and watched some of the draft. Juan, who are these people 
who are these fans that go to the draft? What kind of person do you have to be to be an NFL fan at a draft? They're like the second biggest class of degenerates among sports fans, I think, because the first, the, the, the highest class, of course, is like the true bet your mortgage to, uh, payment type gambler types. I and then you're going to say that, Miami Hurricane fans were the first level degenerates. Well, they're not even, you know, human, so they can't really count as degenerates. Uh, but uh, that, that second class of degenerates is the people who will follow like the Jacksonville Jaguars to away games in Seattle or I mean I think I when I went to one of the I went to one of the London games one time because it happened to be in in London just on a trip and I was like all right NFL's there I'm gonna go and I think it was the Jags playing and there were a bunch of Jags fans there so I mean if you're willing to follow the Jaguars to the end of the earth pretty 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 crazy and if you're willing to follow them all the way to a stadium in Houston for the draft you're pretty crazy I would go ahead and say um, but those, those folks, I mean, they get dressed up with, with all hopes being that they're one of the 10 people selected to sit in their, their, you know, team's little fan booth. And that then on top of that, they're the one that's selected to get and get to sit in a Roger Goodell's chair. <laughs> <laughs> what a ridiculous, what a ridiculous group of individuals that is. Yeah. Well, uh, our own Perry Costadakis is not one of those fans, but he did put out a nice article on Tomahawk Nation to talk about draft notes for Florida State. Florida State had four players taken into the, uh, the 2021 draft, uh, which now has given Florida State a total of 292 draft picks all time. Uh, the Florida State Seminoles have had one player selected in 38 straight drafts, which is the eighth longest active streak. Uh, let's see, uh, 47 draft picks since 2013, which is sixth highest. Uh, and there's a couple other good nuggets in there if you want to dig into Perry's article that he put out this week. But uh, let's start with uh, who got drafted. But real quick, Juan, if you wanted to touch on that before we talk about who got drafted. Yeah, so um, one thing I wanted to touch on is a quick apology to the residents of Houston. Uh, I, I've, I've always I've been confusing Energy Stadium there in Houston and First Energy in Cleveland for a while. And... To those listeners of ours who live in Houston, I really apologize for confusing you with possibly living in Cleveland. That's an egregious error and an egregious insult, and I apologize. You know, Houston listeners everywhere are now relieved, Juan. I'm glad you cleared that. Big FSU uh, alumni location. Yeah. Um, So let's start. Uh, Second round, pick number 47. The first Florida State Seminole off the board was Asante Samuel Jr. He goes to the Los Angeles Chargers joining Derwin James, Gabe Neighbors, and former Florida State uh, transfer Trey McKitty. I mean, it's like Florida State West out there. But uh, I think Asante is probably a player I think that's going to have the earliest impact uh, out of everyone that was drafted. And and you see that he's got a lot of upside. And I think if he was probably about two inches taller, we'd be talking about a first-round draft pick here. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, he's a guy that he is – he's – very similar, not necessarily in the way he plays, but in his utility to Ronald Darby. He's a guy who was a great field corner in college um, and is having a great career himself, Darby, that is. But uh, Sandra Samuel Jr., you know, obviously, you know, he, everyone knows his, his dad back with the Patriots and, and uh, you know, Jr., uh, Sante Samuel Jr., he's a kid that he's a true cover corner. You know, he's not a press guy. He's not a guy who's going to be able to go in and 
and you know play in, in in one of those boundary sort of positions and really play physically. But he's a guy that you're you're going to be able to trust in coverage day one. Uh, they're going to put him in, I'm sure, nickel and dime packages game one, even if he doesn't prove to be a starter this year, he's a guy that they're going to be able to trust. I mean, and, and, you know, the, the, apparently Derwin James was pushing for him to be drafted by the chargers. Uh, he said that, that Derwin had talked to, you know, team management said, look, this guy can play uh, you know, this guy, He's, he's a hard worker and he's a kid who's also been healthy pretty much through his entire college career. And that's something you really can't discount. You're getting a kid who doesn't have, bum knees who doesn't have you know real serious injury concerns over his career um you know i mean like the 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 dolphins got uh phillips in the first round and you know he would have probably not fallen to them if it wasn't for his concussion injury concerns so i mean i think they really got him at a pretty good value at that you know right around that 50th pick number um he's a kid who i think not going to be a pro bowl type player uh, just based on his size. He's not going to be able to be as physical as you need against a number one receiver. You know, I mean a six, four new Hopkins type, he's not going to be able to, to, to battle him, you know, in a press type situation, but he's going to be able to stay with anybody and stay with, stay in phase. I mean, he's, he's a good, smart, intelligent player. I mean, you know, he's a, he's a former player's son. So uh, I think he's, out of all the players that were drafted or signed UDFA, it's it's obviously easy to say that the highest drafted one is going to have the best career. But I think had we talked about this group before this year, we probably wouldn't have said that about uh, Asante Samuel Jr. But he's definitely the one that I see having the best career for sure. Yeah. So then Florida State went another two rounds before another uh, draft pick, fourth round, number 134, Janarius Robinson to the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, and then not too long after him, number 144, Joshua Kando to the Kansas City Chiefs. So it was great to see Florida State's defensive ends get picked up. I, I almost put these guys in the same the, the same conversation. Kando more because of injuries. Uh, Janarius more because of, I guess, lack of coaching. But both of them kind of fall in that bucket where they didn't get a consistent coach. Uh, Kando obviously had the injuries where he missed time. But both of these guys have upside. Both of these guys have the prototypical size that you like to see at, at edge. I mean, Joshua Kando was a top 10 player coming out of high school. So these kids have potential. And, and Robinson specifically, the, the they just love the look of him. And he's exactly what you're looking for. You know, I, I can't say that these guys will be successful. But I think with the right coaching – you know, Robinson, especially last year, really flashed at times, which Kevin pointed out on his triple option articles. And I think you could see one of them carve out a nice little uh, career uh, in the NFL. Yeah, I think um, one thing that's pretty interesting is is with, with Janarius Robinson's situation, he's going into, a, I think, a pretty... I wouldn't say, uh, uh, you know, overwhelming competition, but, you know, the, the Vikings have Daniel Hunter, who's a pretty, pretty darn good player. And then uh, the, just the, just the round, the round before in the third round, Minnesota picked Patrick Jones, who mm-hmm. is a pretty good player. Um, he was at Pittsburgh. He, you know, had a pretty good production in the ACC. I think he was one of these guys, you know, one of these other teams, for lack of a better way to put it in the ACC, other team type players who, had some pretty good production in college um, and got some awards. But I think, I think he's got a pretty tough battle on his hands, but maybe that's what it'll take to really get the best out of Janarius. Um, he's a, he's a kid who's got talent. 
Joshua Kando to me is obviously the much higher upside of the two players. Uh, but Janarius Robinson certainly isn't untalented by any means. I mean, he, and like you said, the size is really a good thing. Um, especially at the NFL level. I mean, it's one thing to be, you know, uh, uh, Brian Burns and have that sort of athleticism at that 235, 240 type level. But to be that 6'5, you know, 260 type, that's exactly what you need to be a 4'3 end or a 3'4 outside linebacker hybrid type like that. So, I mean, I, I can see uh, both, I can see Janarius having having some early success because because Daniel Hunter is, uh, is going to be injured to begin the season and there's questions on if he'll come back at all. So, I mean, he's got a chance to play this year and, and you know, being in the fourth round, it's not quite like the first or second round pick where you're going to see, you know, you're going to see him play, but I think he's in a pretty good situation there in Minnesota. And I think he's got a chance to make a, to make, to make a good living in the NFL. And moving on to Joshua Kando, like you said, former top 10 overall recruit. And that's something that's been talked about in every scouting report I've seen by all the draft people. They talk about upside, 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 upside. I mean, he's a far better athlete than, than, probably his play led on at times. Um, I think he probably got a little bit overbulked some in his career. He, and, and of course he's like 255, 260. He's got the frame where he can still shed a few pounds, maybe gain a little bit of that explosiveness back and still be big enough to play at the NFL level, especially as a stand-up end. So, I mean, I think that, you know, they both have pretty good situations that they're going into. Um, and of course the chiefs, I mean, wh- what a better team to be on uh, than that. I mean, imagine getting that, uh, getting that, getting that phone call from Andy Reed and, and you know, Kool-Aid man himself that they're going <laughs> to, they're going to take a chance on you on a, on yeah. a championship team. So he's, he's had a, he's, he has a chance to be a, an impact player. I think, I mean, he's, he's really, he has fluid hips. I mean, he's a talented player. Um, I don't think, like you said, a combination of injuries, poor coaching, and, and multiple coaches really, really hurt both these players. And I, I wish the best to both of them. Obviously, Janarius uh, Robinson had his house destroyed with Hurricane Michael. Everyone remembers the the GoFundMe that finally was allowed by the NCAA and the heartwarming story of them being able to rebuild their house. And they were able to rebuild their house and, you know, hopefully – Janarius uh, uh, makes enough money that you know they won't have to pay much for it in the future. <laughs> yeah, exactly. One more name to uh, talk about in the draft, and then two uh, undrafted free agents. Uh, six round number one eighty six, uh, Hamsa Nasruddin with the New York Jets. I think Hamsa is probably the one player that could have maybe improved his draft stock by coming back one year, just so he could have got more film. But uh, he he's also in that. He's in that weird hybrid size where is he true a true linebacker versus a true safety? And I think that hurt him a little bit. But uh, I, I like Hamza a lot, and I think he, he's got a potential to uh, also carve out a nice career in the NFL. Yeah, and actually, the I think he was he was listed by the Jets as a linebacker, um, yeah. which I mean, I've seen Hamza Nasruddin play since you know his his high school highlights. Uh, that kid is not a linebacker. He has the athleticism and size to be a good safety at the NFL level. Um, you know, he's, he's six foot four and, you know, two thirty five or something like that. I can, I can, I can see where they want him to be, you know, linebacker if he gets up to that two thirty five two forty range, but he's a guy who's already a, an athletic player in the secondary at, at, at you know, at, at that size. I mean, I, 
if the Jets are really taking him to be a linebacker, I'm not sure he's going to be set up for success. Um, you know, one thing that's that's positive for him, I suppose, is that you know that the Lamarcus Joyner was recently signed by the Jets. So um, while having to endure the awful Jets fans and the awful New York media, at least he'll have a, fl- a fellow Florida State guy. And and you know, like you said, I mean, I. Hamza is one of those tough situations when it comes to coming back because he, he realistically had he not been hurt last year, likely would have gone and probably been a top hundred pick. I think, you know, his caliber of play to that point in his career had been good. Then he tore his ACL. So, I mean, it's really a question of if he's a hundred percent healthy, if he's able to, you know, because when he came back this year, he didn't play a hundred percent. You could see that very quickly. He wasn't mm-hmm. he wasn't 100 ready. That's understandable. That's fine, um, and that's probably a big factor in why he was drafted so low. But if they're if they're going to try to pigeonhole him as a true linebacker, I just don't see how that's going to be a successful thing for for Hams or the Jets. Yeah, and then final two names to talk about: Marvin Wilson was an undrafted free agent, signed with the Browns to so a pretty good sized contract at 162 thousand. And then Tamori and Terry signing with the Seattle Seahawks. And, and as our own Josh Pick, Pick uh, pointed out to us when we were talking internally on Slack chat, um, uh, uh, Wilson especially probably in those later rounds might have been telling teams basically not to draft me because I'm going to go out on the undrafted free agent and possibly get a higher guaranteed contract. Um, you know, wish those guys both the best. Uh, unfortunate how some of the circumstances worked out at Florida state with them in their senior year or their final year with the team. Uh, I think both of those guys definitely have the potential to do big things in the NFL. Um, it's just whether they really get that opportunity and can get the right mindset. Yeah. I would say that, you know, their, their draft position reflects their level of play in 2020 and possibly in, in some sense, their level of effort in 2020. Um, you know, I think had you talked to either of us before, uh, let me think when was Marv gate in August yeah. <laughs> before Marv gate, uh, both these guys would have been pegged for not top 100 necessarily, but they both would have been, you know, I would have bet money they were drafted. Uh, right. I mean, the fact that they would one is UDFA and, you know, you make a good point about going to going on uh, to to undrafted voluntarily. And in Marvin's case, Marvin's case, I think that turned out to be the better, better role for him, given the the numbers which you just talked about. Um, but, yeah, I'm 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 hesitant to say that uh, that they you know deserved any better. Um, they they really didn't have good years. Uh, they they didn't that they didn't they didn't show as leaders for this team uh there's been murmurs about you know some some question question marks in conversations with teams uh especially regarding Marvin Wilson you know I'm not gonna try to impugn his character but uh there's there's a lot of question marks on him uh as far as how he's gonna fit in an NFL locker room and and he may be physically ready, but um, yeah, he may not be socially ready for for that sort of situation. And Tamori and Terry, um, I mean, shoot, uh, it's I, I feel bad for him. He had the, a rough year, uh, both on and off the field. Uh, he had a family member pass away during the season, uh, and never seemed to really recover from that. And of course, uh, one of the first things you see in most of the <laughs> most of the scouting reports with Tamori and Terry, if you look around. Uh, he battled poor quarterback play and you know, that, that is a big factor. I mean, 
poor guy really, really had to, to struggle. I mean, you, you, you know, as much as we all love Jordan Travis as, as a, as a quarterback, a leader, a seminal, everything like that, he's not a good throw of the ball in 2020. Um, hopefully that changes, but it, it wouldn't have changed early enough for, for Tamori and Terry. And uh, he's a, he's a guy who I think is, hopefully in a good situation at the Seahawks. I think, yeah. you know, Russell not getting his way and not getting out uh, may offer him something good. I mean, Tamori and Terry is a big body. He's in, I, you know, an NFL talent. I'm not going to say he's a top 100 talent necessarily. I don't think he really has the, the twitchiness that you need out, out of a six, four type receiver uh, that you to, to, to be a number one at the NFL level at an, in any sort of elite way. I mean, he was a very good college player, obviously in his better years. Um, but he's a guy that, you know, let me put it this way. Anquan Bolden ran like a four, seven or four, eight in, in the combine and was known as a possession receiver. And he made a great 14 year, 14, 15 year career out of it. And that's something that Tamori and Terry can be. I mean, he can be that sort of less twitchy, strong possession sort of receiver using his body and using his size. And so hopefully, you know, wish the best for Tamori and Terry. And hopefully Scary Terry gets a, has some scary Sundays in Seattle. Yeah, I think this you can summarize uh, Tamori and Terry's uh, career at Florida State with the quarterback. So I, I go back to the Georgia Tech game week one when – James Blackman just totally missed him or threw him that I actually threw him a good pass. And it was like, Terry just didn't know what to do. And he, you know, he dropped it. And, what is this? Uh, what is this? Exactly. <laughs> All right. Let's uh, let's, let's finish up NFL draft talk by talking early thoughts on which Florida state Seminoles currently on the roster have the best opportunity to be drafted next year. Uh, I off the top of my head, maybe like four players, if that, um, we were talking about it earlier with David and Perry and a couple other people. Uh, the name that just instantly pops up is Jermaine Johnson at defensive end. Uh, I think if he flashes this year, he's got potential to uh, definitely be drafted. Um, who do you see as, as potential draft picks for Florida State? I think he's definitely a good one. Um, and I think one that sort of kept got, got forgotten in that conversation is Fabian Lovett. Um, he's a guy that he is younger. I grant you, but he's a guy who's, he already had, you know, some, some flash at Mississippi state before he transferred. Uh, he had a nice year last year and he's, uh, he's a good physical player. I think he's a guy that, you know, I mean, uh, if he wanted, if he wanted out and he wanted to go, I think he'd be, you know, it may be a late round pick, but you know, the, he'd be, he'd be drafted. So I think that's one of my, one of my uh, wild cards out there. But one thing I want to mention when we, uh, as we're talking about this, okay, you said maybe four players drafted. All right. So I'm going to, I'm going to ask you a two part question and I'm going to wait for your answer on the first one before I ask you the second one. All right. So if you go, if I gave you an over under of three and a half of on Florida state football players being drafted in the 2022 NFL draft, and you actually had to put money on it, where are you putting the money? Yeah. Why, why do you got to do that to me? Uh, three and a half. So four or three, four better or three or less. That's your two options. Basically. I got to go. I think I'm going under. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's sort of, sort of, sort of, sort of difficult. And so now here's the other part that's pretty wild. 
how many do you think would be drafted if you removed transfer players and you only included players who committed and enrolled at Florida State straight out of high school? Uh, maybe one, uh, Cooper. Yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Yeah, uh, it's it's and it speaks to how much uh, to, to Mike Norvell has already flipped this locker room that you've got that many transfers to the point that the guys who we're actually considering potential NFL prospects are virtually all transfers. Um, you know, Mackenzie Milton is probably not going to be. Uh, if, I don't think you're you're going to talk about him as a high level quarterback, but he's a guy that I think based on production over the years, he's going to get drafted. Um, he's so there's, if we're talking, there's four, four names we've mentioned right there. Uh, Milton, Lovett, Cooper. And who was the first one you mentioned again? Uh, Johnson. Johnson, of course. Yeah, no, he's, he's definitely the highest on the list, I think. Um, yeah, and, but you start going through, through some of these older names that are, uh, homegrown for lack of a better word. You've got Emmett Rice, Leonard Warner, uh, Baby and Johnson. I'm not that uh, to Kalen Brooks, Brady Scott. The only one here, Cam McDonald, maybe. I mean, there's really done a lot of talent that came through Florida State through high school. So, I mean, it's 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 both good and bad to see that you know okay it's not a team that's loaded with NFL talent that came through Florida State. It shows you what Mike Norvell's had to work with and what Willie Taggart really at this point left him. Um, we're we're past we're we're getting past the point where you can blame Jimbo on on most of these guys. Yeah, yeah, I I, I agree. Um, you know, a lot of those high highly rated kids that that Taggart brought in. Um, really didn't, you know, like Warren Thompson and others just unfortunately did not pan out, uh, kids that would maybe potentially have the skills to be drafted. So, um, I, I think, I think that there's potential for maybe a a defensive back. I don't know which one to maybe sneak into the draft. Uh, I don't know about Devante Love Taylor might be able as a, as a late pick as a, as a guard more than a tackle. Uh, then you've got, then you got a couple other guys like, uh, I, David brought up, um, Jared Wilson, the guy that transferred from UCLA. He might be a good blocking tight end. Um, and maybe one of the transfers in the defensive backfield, maybe, you know, Brandon Moore really, uh, recovers well from his leg injury. He's got a lot of potential, uh, just a lot of ifs on that Florida state draft, they could, uh, they could end up with maybe just like two or they could end up with maybe five or six. If everybody really, you know, makes that turn. And, and let's not forget that uh, Kira Thomas has potential also Definitely. To, to maybe be an impact uh, or not necessarily an impact, but be a draftable player. So here's another sort of uh, related trivia question for you. All right. All right. Last question one. Last question. And then we'll move on. All right. There are 11 seniors or redshirt seniors currently on FSU's roster. How many of those do you think are transfers? Seniors or redshirt seniors. So it can be fourth or fifth year type players. Five. Eight of 11, (laughs) which is, I mean, it's pretty wild to think about when you start going through it. It's, you know, they've, uh, and and a lot of them are players that, you know, and the ones that, the ones that remain are not really uh, ones that you're all that excited about. Baby and Johnson, Leonard Warner and Emmett Rice. Um, Emmett Rice is is a guy who's probably going to have a solid year this year as your main linebacker. Yeah. If he's healthy, 
of course. Um, but then, I mean, you know, the big names that we, we're, we're talking about, Mackenzie Milton, Jermaine Johnson, Brandon Moore, uh, Devontae Love-Taylor, all those seniors, those those guys, Takir Thomas, Jordan Wilson, those guys are all transfers. So it's 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 sort of sad what uh what this roster has 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 become. Um, yeah, but, or, that's why I keep saying just let Norvell win six this year. All right, <laughs> keep win six, get that good class, and really start to see the turnover. And uh, I think Norvell could really get Florida State rolling in the right direction. Yeah, it's going to be a younger team um, for the next couple of years, which is probably a good thing given. <laughs> Uh, the last couple staffs and what they had done prior to Norvell and his guys were having. Yeah. Well, Juan, great conversation tonight. We're going to kick it over to our editor in chief, uh, our, our master at, of everything Tomahawk nation uh, and let Perry Costadakis finish out the show. Juan, thanks so much, buddy. Hey, how's it going? What's up, my friend? It's Perry K, and I'm back again. Thank you to Tim and Juan for hitting on some of the big football points of the week. I'm here with just a quick wraparound of the other sports that are happening, spring sports specifically. Number one is number one. The number one overall seed of Florida State soccer team is competing in the NCAA College Cup right now, seeking a third national title. They had their first game of the tournament. Uh, they faced off against UW-Milwaukee, who actually played the Seminoles pretty close considering the talent gap. Um, FSU did have a little bit of rust considering the fact that they did not play a competitive collegiate soccer game in 2021 yet they've only faced off in two scrimmages splitting them with the professional team orlando pride they of course went undefeated in 2020 winning acc title so they as um our prince on tomahawk nation that's not like i mean it is a term of endearment but that is his pen name he noted that while they weren't exactly on their a game it was still a great opening win like they shook off the rust they turned a 0-0 halftime score into a 3-0 victory um as prince says the last time they actually played was a scrimmage april 11th like that's a pretty long time to go between playing competitive soccer and so again not an a performance but b plus their next game will be on may 5th against the winner of the vanderbilt penn state game um, baseball also had a series this weekend facing off against Troy. You can read more of the full coverage from Brett Nevitt. He, of course, covered literally every game because why not? They clinched the win Sunday um, going off a pair of homers. The bats fell completely flat on Saturday. It was the third time this season that FSU had been shut out. Pitching has been there. like It's been fantastic. Um Connor Grady on Sunday's game set a career high with 13 strikeouts. Um, it has just been ridiculous how good Nathan Nelson has been. The home run leader, Brett wrote a great article about how he is the best catcher in the nation, but I think he's honestly putting up, in my small baseball-brained opinion, player of the year numbers. So it's nice to see that he has continuous productivity and continued looking or making Brett look as smart as he actually is. Make sure you tune into Sunday Gold this week to get more insight there. 
tune into or go listen to the past episodes actually because they have him and Arya have done a great job of getting players on and the FSU baseball sports information staff has done such a great job about working with them and getting that insight flipping over to softball they also secured a series win this weekend winning three out of four games versus NC State it was actually senior weekend I believe is a proper terminology but I think they just did senior day on Sunday it was overall a great win. Softball has been doing great this season. Number six in the nation, 36-8-1. and one. Um, This next week, they have a four-game series against the Pittsburgh Panthers. Also, starting NCAA tournament play soon will be the beach volleyball team, who just won another CCSA conference championship. They'll be the number three seed in the NCAA beach volleyball championship. And they are on a 10-game win streak. That championship that they won, the conference championship, was their fifth consecutive. They are the only program to win five straight conference championships. This is um, coming straight from FSU Sports Information. They Here's how the tournament works, in case you're unfamiliar. The 2021 NCAA Beach Volleyball Championship features a double elimination bracket play tournament with two remaining schools at the very end playing a winner-take-all match on Sunday. So, a nice gauntlet featuring the best programs in the nation, which FSU, since they started this program, has made an appearance at every single national championship event when it was originally the AVCA championship from 2012 to 2015. And now it's just officially the NCAA championship. They have yet to secure a title. So, it would be a great mark for a program that again like has shown that consistent success national runner-up 2014 2016 2018 top three finishes 2012 2013 consistent success almost similar to the fsu soccer program that had been one of the best in the country and then just could not get over that final hump. it would be great in this year for all this team has had actually the entire you know sports program has had to deal with to get a national title in a sport would be a nice little bow on the 2020-21 sports season. I mean, we still have softball. Softball got their national title already. Baseball, you know, they have played to their competition in the best and the worst of ways. Um, Mike Martin Jr. is still kind of figuring out what he likes to do, what works best. Brett, again, has been perfect in terms of coverage, like being on top of it, being critical when needed. So make sure you are tuning in to Sunday Golds when it releases. Stay tuned to Tomahawk Nation for just updates throughout the week. Feature player columns from Brett as the FSU Soccer College Cup continues. We will be posting game updates, live threads, everything, softball, same thing. We are striving to comprehensively cover the Florida State Sports Program. So if you, again, like I've said this multiple times, if you want to see something, please yell at us in the comments, all caps. Call me a mean name so I notice it immediately. We want to cater to our audience. We are very lucky in that like we have no overlord demands in terms of our editorial content. So what you guys want to see is what we want to put out. And that makes my job just much easier. Come up with the ideas for me. It would be very much appreciated. 
With that said, thank you again to Tim. Thank you again to Juan. If you missed the AJ Duffy breakdown from Kevin Little and Adam Brown, it's both available on YouTube, on the X's and Nose channel, and on our podcast channel. You know, scroll down, just click on the one below us. It's a very enjoyable listen, nice and short. Thank you for hanging out. Thank you for listening as always. Thank you for supporting. And for everybody at Tomahawk Nation, that's a wrap.